It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Before the Cleveland Guardians, before the Indians, and even before the Nats, Blues, and Broncos, Cleveland was home to a professional baseball team you may have missed. We're going to learn about them today on Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week, another show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Lambert. Before we start off, hey, I always want to say thank you so much for tuning in. It means a lot to me that you are continuing to support the show. It's great to be back. We've got our second one here in a row. That makes me excited, building up some steam. I wanted to, before we jumped into today's episode, I always ask you for feedback, and I get a lot of it from you, and I'm very appreciative of the corrections of the comments of the suggestions it's it's great to connect with you in that way and i wanted to start featuring some of the feedback that i get from you that isn't necessarily questions which are the ones that i would save for the monthly mailbag episode so i got uh, three this week that i wanted to share with you one of them is an email from a listener named vaughn vaughn was writing in about last week's episode which was related to pitchers on offense. And he had to say, quote, I enjoyed your podcast, but I expected you to include Tony Cloninger's two grand slams in one game, end quote. Well, Vaughn, you were nice enough to send a video along with that, and I would agree with you. I think that was quite the feat. I'm going to put a clip of that up on the social media channel this week. For those of you who would be interested, make sure that you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rounders Podcast. Vaughn, thank you very much for the feedback. The second communication I got was from Joe. Joe had this to say, quote, I was catching up with some back podcasts, including the Montreal Expo obituary, our baseball team autopsies, which was great. One correction you might want to know, the Olympic Stadium was built for the 1976 Summer Olympics, not the Winter Olympics, which were actually held in Innsbruck, Austria that year, end quote. And yes, Joe, thank you for that. That was uh, an oversight during our research process, and it's a great point to make. I think the brain may have automatically assumed because it was in Canada, it was for the Winter Olympics, not the Summer Olympics. But great point out. And uh, thank you for that feedback. And the final listener comment I want to share is from Michael. Michael sent over an email pointing out, quote, in the Green Monster episode, which is going back to episode two, if I remember right from the podcast. Uh, in the Green Monster episode, you said that Cy Young played at Fenway. His last season was 1911 with the Rustlers, a.k.a. the Boston Braves. And Fenway opened in 1912, a year later. So, Michael, thank you very much for that. I had to go back because I was so confident when I got this email. I was like, no, that's incorrect. Cy Young definitely played at Fenway Park, but you are correct. A year earlier was last year that uh, he did so and never got to set foot on those hallowed grounds. So, again, thank you for that feedback. 
folks, um, when I get these comments that are corrections that are, uh, you know, verified as historically uh, correct, I include them in the show notes for the episodes that you refer to. That way people that are listening to them later can actually see in the show notes, oh, there's a correction from the actual script that was uh, recorded. And it just adds to the historical knowledge, which is the goal. We do this for fun, but we also do this because we love baseball and we love the history of the game. So I want to make sure that we're as accurate as possible when we're reporting on these topics. So if you catch, uh, you know, a flub, a minor historical inaccuracy, let me know. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I think we're all in this together. And I would be more than happy to feature said uh, inaccuracy that you have pointed out for the benefit of all. So thank you for the feedback. Again, I appreciate it all. Positive, negative, and constructive. Keep it coming. So Let's get into our episode for today. We're going back to Cleveland. We've been to Cleveland three times throughout the history of this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Spiders. We're going to be doing a team autopsy. This is a series we've had going for, I believe, five episodes now. It's just this this story was one we just couldn't pass up. It's been on the roster list for a while. I mean, with a young manager named Patsy, who, who uh, took care of the Spiders. They had a young pitching phenom that we all know today that we're going to talk about. And they had a truly memorable losing season. It was just a team that we could not miss covering. So on today's episode, we're going to be going through and sharing with you the story of the now defunct Cleveland Spiders. Let's get to it. Let's start off by providing a brief overview of Cleveland's professional baseball club history. So the Spiders, the main topic of our episode, they played in Cleveland, Ohio from the years 1887 to 1899, but they were not the first MLB team to play in Cleveland. No, that honor goes to a club known as the Forest Cities, which was actually actually a nickname for Cleveland back in the day, probably still used to rare effect now for my Cleveland residents listening. I'd love to know if anybody still refers to the city as the Forest City. The Forest Cities joined the National Association in 1871, and they played two seasons before the club folded. That brings us to 1879. In 1879, there was a new franchise that moved into town called the Blues. We've talked about this in a previous mailbag episode. This club joined the National League officially. Jim McCormick, who's considered one of the greatest pitchers not in the Hall of Fame, was their star player. So this team lasted from 1879 up until 1884. At the end of the 1884 season, there was a New York businessman known as Charlie Byrne who bought the club, and he merged them with the existing Brooklyn Grays, which is a team that is the forerunner of the Los Angeles Dodgers now. So he merged those two clubs together, and that, again, was uh, an exit of professional baseball from the city of Cleveland. But this didn't last long. Just three years later, in 1887, there were two brothers, Stanley and Frank Robinson. They decided that they wanted to resurrect the forest cities uh, from previous times. And they 
uh, came together and they put together a team called the Forest City Blues. So a combination of the two clubs. And they competed as part of the American Association. They lasted for two years from 1887 to 1889. And I shouldn't say they lasted for two years. They existed for two years in the American Association. And then they moved into, uh, they merged with the more prestigious National League in 1889. So the club joins a a more professional league, one with more money, more prestige. And in that 1889 season, once they moved into the National League, the decision was made to change the team's name from the Blues to the topic of our show today, the Cleveland Spiders. And this is the club we're going to focus on. They weren't around for a long time, but boy, is the history interesting. So let's jump right into it. The Cleveland Spiders were not around long. And unfortunately, the stat that gets tied to them all too often is this absolutely historic losing season that they had as part of their history. But, you know, I think it's important to put into the full context of what the team probably should be known for. And I think it is certainly worth noting that they should be remembered for a team that had an absolutely insane amount of Hall of Fame players on their roster for being around for such a short time. So six players who are were later named to the Hall of Fame, were on their roster, and all six of them actually played for the team at the same time. So those guys are Cy Young, John Clarkson, Bobby Wallace, Jesse Burkett, George Davis, and Buck Ewing. Now out of that list, obviously, Cy Young definitely jumps out at you. Yes, Cy Young started his professional career with the Cleveland Spiders. Um, he was their phenom young pitcher. Uh, He was the guy who was pretty directly responsible for the success that they enjoyed for their first two seasons. Um, Just as an aside about Cy Young, because we're going to give him his own episode, but just a couple notes from him entering the league with the Spiders. Cy Young's full name, well, his first name wasn't Cy. His full actual name was Denton True Young. So you may be asking yourself, where did he get the nickname Cy? That followed him from the minor leagues as he entered into the professional leagues with the Spiders. You see, during his time in the minors, he was known for having a wicked fastball. And on more than one occasion, he would hit fences as he threw these balls and it would literally leave these huge holes in the fences. And his teammates would comment that it looked like a cyclone hit them. So he started being referred to as Cyclone Young, shortened to Cy Young. And that's where the name comes from. So like I said, just as a quick aside, that followed him into the league as he joined up as a guy in his young 20s. And he enjoyed great success with the club in the short amount of time he was with them. His best year with the Spiders was in 1892. He led the National League with 36 wins. He had nine shutouts that season, and he pitched 48 complete games. Think about that. That is insane. And that's all we're going to say about Cy Young for now in relation to the Cleveland Spiders. But as an overview, before we jump into the team's details, I would like to um, just bring up the fact that we are going to talk about the historic losing season, but uh, that number of having that many Hall of Fame players on the roster at one time is certainly something that we should remember about the Cleveland Spiders. So let's go ahead and jump into what did the team look like? What was the logos, the uniforms? Where did they play? Well, the uniforms were pretty basic. 
We had a dark gray color for the uniforms with black lettering across the chest, which said Cleveland. It was a collared uniform that they wore. They had two versions from the photos that we researched. They had a, a, a drawstring with a, uh, a collaring to it, and then we also had a, um, a button-up one as well, kind of like a Henley. So those were the two looks that were, for them, they wore a black cap, uh, they also had black stockings that they wore. The team's colors were basically black, gray, and white. So those were the colors that they used. In terms of a logo, Cleveland was the standard that they wore across their chest. There was no official uh, graphic that was used to advertise the team. We're, we're before a lot of the marketing uh, hits baseball at this time. The team played at two different places during their uh, time in the professional leagues. They played at the second National League Park in Cleveland. And then for their final season, they moved to the infamous League Park, which was the all-wooden structure that was built at the conclusion of the 1890 season. So uh, that structure was obviously made all out of wood, featured other professional teams that played in the Cleveland area. So there were two sites for the Cleveland Spiders in terms of where they played. So that gives you an overview of the the colors, the uniforms, and where the team played. So now let's jump into an overview of how the team did. What did their existence look like in terms of the seasons that they put together? Now remember, this team played in the American Association from 1887 to 1888, and then they joined the National League from 1889 till 1899. So this is a, not a long history for this team. And if we were to summarize, I think, some of the high points for this team, from 1892 to 1898, that's when the Spiders enjoyed their longest streak of success, very notably, too. They had a 582 winning percentage. That's third in that time span behind the Boston Braves and the Baltimore Orioles. So they were synonymous with winning teams during the 1890s. Absolutely. They were also a team that regularly was featured in the, if you can call it that, the, the championship series of this time. They didn't have a, a World Series yet. There was another championship uh, series that was that took place during this time, it was known as the Temple Cup. And basically the Temple Cup matched up the first and the second place teams out of the entire league. And those two would play each other to determine the league winner. And the Temple Cup wasn't played every single year either. But in the span of 1892 to 1898, it was played four different times. And the Spiders won in 1895, so they won one out of four times there was a championship series in the National League. They defeated the Orioles, so there is a championship trophy, I guess you could say, that was won by this club. So that six-year span brought a lot of very um, notable excitement for the city. As a matter of fact, the Spiders still hold the record of being, well... <laughs> Who else would take it? The Spiders were this, the city of Cleveland's first championship team. They hold that accolade. No one can take that from them because unless time machines have been built, that one's staying put. So, you know, they had a rivalry throughout their existence with the Baltimore Orioles. There was a constant back and forth there between the two clubs. And the Orioles were known during this time as being the face of rowdy baseball during uh, the late 1800s. And that was something that came up a lot during games with the Spiders. Both uh, were very hard-nosed clubs, and there was constant altercations between the two teams whenever they played each other. Now, during the stretch in the 1890s, we mentioned Cy Young 
was uh, a staple of this organization. But there was also an individual named Oliver Thibault, who was a player manager who managed the club during this time. His nickname was Patsy. Great nickname, huh? He was the guy who really promoted that we're not going to back down type of mentality that Cleveland was known for, especially uh, when getting in altercations with the Orioles. As a matter of fact, he was quoted as saying, uh, quote, no goody-goody player will ever wear a Cleveland uniform, end quote. So you can see the type of club that he focused on creating. But to his credit, the team was very successful during the stretch where he was player manager. So overall, if you look at their history as a whole, the team, the majority of their years, they were synonymous with winning. They ended up winning a, you know, quote unquote, league trophy as part of this uh, stretch. But the thing that's often attached to this team, an infamous losing season, is something we are going to discuss next. But before we do, we got to take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Stay with me. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. We are going to hop right in and keep going with our autopsy of the Cleveland Spiders, a club that played in two different leagues, the American Association and the National League, had a great stretch during the 1890s of winning seasons. They featured six different future Hall of Famers on their club at one time. The young Cy Young entered the league and joined with the Cleveland Spiders and experienced great success during his time there. And like we said, they ended up winning the Temple Cup once out of the four times they went during this stretch. So we're talking about the highlights of the club, and certainly there were a lot. But let's get into, unfortunately, what is often attached to the club in terms of history, remembering them. And that is that the Spiders hold the record for the worst season in major uh, professional baseball history history. As a matter of fact, they put together a season where they went 20 and 134. 20 wins, 134 losses, folks. That's a a 129 winning percentage. Yes. And to top that off, they lost 40 of their final 41 games, and they lost 24 straight games at one point during this 1899 season. If that's not bad enough, let me just run through some of the stats of this 1899 season. They were outscored 960 to 377 in 112 road games. That means that they gave up an average of 10 or more runs in about a third of their games. Let that sink in for a second. The home attendance during this 1899 season got so bad that the average was about 70 attendees a game in the bleachers. That's how bad it got. And just to be able to cope with this disaster of the squad, we saw the league actually work with the owners to change the schedule 
and they replaced several of their home games with road games to make sure that the organization lost less money because when they're on the road, they don't have to worry about the, the hosting and concessions and things like that. So this, this is the state of the 1899 Spiders. They were actually given a derogatory nickname during the season. Uh, a lot of baseball fans referred to them as the Wanderers. That was actually given to them by the Cleveland press themselves. I mean, this is worse than just putting into, into perspective here. The 1962 Mets only won 40 games. The 2003 Detroit, Detroit Tigers, which is the team that I remember, uh, only won 43 games. Here you have the Cleveland Spiders only winning 20 games the entire season. They went through two different managers during that stretch. Uh, they started the season with a manager named Lave Cross. This was after Patsy left, by the way. He only lasted uh, 38 games. He transferred out after that. Uh, he ended up going to the St. Louis Perfectos, and he was a player manager. He hit 303 the rest of the season. He did well. He was replaced, so he did well once he left the team, I should say. Um, Cross was replaced as manager by the team's second baseman, Joe Quinn. Remember, player managers, very common during this time. Quinn was actually an Australian-born player. He reached the major leagues. He had a long and storied career. He's actually a member of the Baseball Australia Hall of Fame. And, you know, he does have the designation, unfortunately, of finishing the season with the Cleveland Spiders during this, this historic losing season. Going into the season a little bit more, folks, just to add insult to injury, the offense only hit 12 home runs all season. That's the same total that Bobby Wallace hit for the St. Louis Perfectos, another team in the National League, after he was dealt midseason away from the Spiders. Team, the, the guy that they ended up trading ended up having the same amount of home runs the entire team was able to compile for that season. And it wasn't just the offense. The pitching was truly horrible as well. One of their pitchers, Jim Huey, was simultaneously the best and worst pitcher on the team. Um, he pitched 283 innings, which is a feat in itself. He went 4-30 and 30 for his record. Charlie Nepper, who was another pitcher on the squad, went 4-22 and 22 that season, and he actually retired at the end of the 1899 season. That was his only year in the big leagues. They, they beat the, beat the uh, optimism right out of him that season, unfortunately. Uh, Frank Bates, another pitcher on the staff. He only won one game for the Spiders. That was on July 1st. He gave up 17 hits in the process somehow. They still pulled out that game. He ended up losing his next 14 games, and he was released before the end of the season. To round out the pitching staff, there was another gentleman named Theodore Schmidt, who was also on the club. He was nicknamed Crazy. Uh, Theodore Crazy Schmidt was another pitcher on this staff, and he did not fare well either. Folks, we know that teams thrive or die based on their starting pitching. And as what I've just laid out for you, it wasn't just an issue of bad offense. It was incredibly bad pitching as well. That contributed to the woes of the 1899 season. So you may be asking yourself, what would cause the Cleveland Spiders to go from a very successful organization throughout most of the 1890s to a team that had a historic losing season like this in 1899? And it really comes down to we had a classic example of ownership absolutely ruining a team. So let's talk about it. In 1899, before the beginning of the season, the owners of the 
Cleveland Spiders, the Robeson brothers, decided to buy another professional baseball team, the St. Louis Browns. Uh, the Browns had gone bankrupt. They stepped in. They took over the team, and they named the team the St. Louis Perfectos. So they had both teams uh, in the same league playing against each other, and they owned both clubs. You know, talk about a really blatant conflict of interest here. So the Robeson brothers looked at St. Louis and said, you know what, this is in a larger population area. They're going to give us greater attendance. We should really focus our efforts on the St. Louis operation. They ended up moving most of Cleveland's stars over to St. Louis to play for that club. And remember, the contracts were purchased for the career of the player during this time. So the player had no say. The contract was, you play in St. Louis now, we own both clubs. So all of these uh, successful players that played on the Spiders were moved over to St. Louis to be able to play. Cy Young ended up having to go to St. Louis. Jesse Burkett went. Bobby Wallace went. They also shifted, like I said before, a lot of the Cleveland home games onto the road, anticipating that the club was not going to be good and making sure that they maximized the amount of home games that St. Louis was going to get. So the Spiders went into the 1899 season without any of their good players. They had a decimated roster, and this was the result of having an ownership group that really stopped caring about the quality of the product in Cleveland. And that was really the end of, unfortunately, the Spiders' time in the National League and as a big league club, as you can guess, after this disastrous season, the Robeson brothers decided to do what had been previously thought the unthinkable for one of the top teams in the National League. Now, as some small piece of revenge, I guess, it wasn't great for the players who had to pack up and move to a new city to play, but this new St. Louis club, who really undermined the success of the Spiders indirectly, they didn't have a great season in 1899 either, even despite getting all of these great players. They went 39 and 111, so there wasn't a huge difference after all of these changes, and the Robesons really destroyed a successful club to try and create a new one they thought would bring in more money, and it didn't work out that way for them. So the Spiders were actually dropped from the National League before the beginning of the 1900 season. The Robesons decided to effectively turn them into a minor league team. They even dubbed them as a, quote, sideshow project. And the Spiders, along with three other teams in the National League, were all designated for losing major league status, not being a part of the National League anymore. So that was effectively the end of the Cleveland Spiders' history as a professional club. And that brings us to the question of legacy. Like I said, a lot of times when uh, simple stats are brought up, when this team name is brought up, that historic losing season is always pointed to without taking into the context of why that losing season occurred. And it came down to ownership. It wasn't necessarily the team just underperforming. It was a matter of them having the rug pulled out from under them. And we can mark this situation that happened with the Cleveland Spiders as a direct cause of the American League being able to gain ground on the National League and have the creation of two competing professional leagues. Allow me to explain. Because of the poor showing of the Cleveland Spiders, because of the poor showing of the St. Louis Superbas, because of the 
watering down of the product that had happened in 1899, as well as other issues that had been going on, such as poor attendance and other clubs in the National League, the owners got together, and like we said, they decided to reduce the National League membership to eight teams. They said goodbye to the Baltimore Club. They said goodbye to the Cleveland Club. They said goodbye to Louisville and Washington. And we were left with Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago, Cincinnati, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and the St. Louis Perfectos, the team that we talked about that effectively replaced the Cleveland Spiders. So we had a contraction in the National League. And when the National League did this, there was another minor league club called the Western League who was up and coming. And their commissioner, Bancroft Johnson, excuse me, in 1899 said, let's take advantage of the National League's issues and contraction and boost our league. And so he renamed the Western League the American League. And in 1901, the year after the National League removed four teams from its league, the American League decided that they were going to name themselves another major league alongside the National League. And they picked up the clubs from Baltimore, Cleveland, and Washington, and also established teams that were already in the National League in cities that the National League already had. They set up teams in Boston, Chicago, and Philadelphia. And so we had the Orioles, the Boston Americans, the Chicago White Stockings, the Cleveland Blues. So even though there was a continuation of a club in Cleveland, the Spiders were gone. They were just reborn in the American League as the Blues. Um, The Detroit Tigers, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Philadelphia Athletics, and the Washington Senators all became teams that joined this new club, this new league, excuse me, the American League, that now was competing alongside the National League. And the National League was furious. They tried to push aside this upstart league and try and regain that monopoly that they enjoyed for several years. But it became very apparent that the American League had a lot of very prominent up-and-coming players, and they weren't really going to go anywhere. So the National League did, you know, what the I think the classic American move is, if you can't beat them, try and own them. And so in 1903, instead of competing with them, the National League decided to sign a new version of a previous national agreement that was supposed to be a non-compete amongst leagues. But it was a win for the American League because it basically said, we recognize you as a competing big league. We will have the champion of our league play the champion of your league in a World Series matchup. And that's when we saw the birth of what we know today as a World Series between the National League and the American League. So starting in 1903, we have the United States have two eight-team baseball leagues, the American League and the National League, who began playing each other in a World Series at the conclusion of each season. So when we look back on the Cleveland Spiders, instead of remembering the historic losing season, I think it's better that we think of the Cleveland Spiders as one of the main catalysts for the creation of a two-league system and the Major League Baseball apparatus that we know today. 
because if it were not for the Cleveland Spiders and those competing ownership situations that the Robesons found themselves in, we may not have seen the Western League be able to move into that situation to be able to establish another big league team alongside the National League. So Cleveland, you brought us several future Hall of Famers. You brought several successful reason, uh, seasons excuse me, to fans to enjoy. And of course, you were a major catalyst for the creation of the two-league system that we enjoy today. Folks, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. It's been great. Remember, please send in your comments, send in your questions for our monthly mailbag episodes. You can send them on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rounders Podcast. You can email me at rounderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can even send me a voice message, which I will use on the show. There's a link for that as well. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the growing network that we're trying to build you can leave me a one uh, one-time tip uh cash app uh, paypal venmo whatever your flavor is there are links in the show notes all of your money goes right back into growing this business i want to thank you so much don't forget to sign up for the newsletter where you'll get our little bonus mini news episodes throughout the week and just overall you're helping us build independent sports media and i think that's great And so overall, just thanks for listening to the show. That means so much. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, please remember there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. We'll see you later. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert. Our research assistant is Cass Silber. A special thanks to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson.